0: This episode of the Hopes Podcast is dedicated in loving memory of Lizzie's father, Arturo, 1957 to 2020. Three wishes limitless power, endless possibilities. If you had the chance to stumble upon a genie of your own, what would you ask? Unlimited wealth? Success? Or perhaps you'd like to uncover an impossible truth? that could only be revealed by magic. One question is apparently so universal across the human psyche that it's been called the genie question, a question that many of us consider to be so impossible to answer, and yet also irresistibly fascinating. The question being, how am I going to die? You could beat the mystery of time, capture the elusivity of fate, maybe even gain the impossible power to do something about it. It might be a little morbid, but undoubtedly we're all at least a little interested in knowing the way we're going to go, perhaps just so we can be ready for it. There are some endings that only magic could predict. But then, there are others that could be predicted without the help of the genie, and instead, with science. This is the podcast for Hopes, the Huntington's outreach project for education at Stanford. In each episode, we'll share stories that shed light on the history and current issues in Huntington's research. I'm Kat Ferguson. If you have Huntington's disease in your family history, then you have an idea of how you might die. Confirming or refuting it is simply a matter of taking a blood test. But it also comes with a second question. Do I want to know? And the answer to that is complicated, especially because HD currently has no known cure. And knowing whether or not you have HD is a lot more than just knowing how you're going to die. A diagnosis will affect your finances, your plans for your family, and your mental and emotional health. It's a life-changing decision, one that could pivot the future you envision for yourself completely on its axis, and in many cases, complicate your relationship with your loved ones. Today, we get to hear from Lizzie a woman whose family has been affected by HD. Like all who are at risk of having this genetic disorder, she had to face the dilemma of the genie question. She told us how she made that decision and how it impacted her family.
1: Um, So my name's Lizzie. I'm from the East Bay in California.
0: Lizzie got introduced to Huntington's disease at a young age.
1: The earliest I can remember is when I was eight years old. We would visit my grandfather at least once a month. Um, it'd be like a long ride to San Mateo um, from, from the East Bay. And I remember being so excited with my mom driving us there because there's these bumps on the road that me and my sister would get really excited about. But then they got to the hospital,
0: where Lizzie's grandfather had to stay.
1: He doesn't remember, he can't talk, can't say anything, and we're, I'm just not sure why we're really here. Um, but, you know, I understand, okay, this, this man is my grandfather. So he was diagnosed, you know, in his late 40s, 50s, I believe. And then he became bedridden by the time I was born. Um, so he was being fed through tubes and, you know, just in, a, in completely in a bed hosp- um, hospital care. So uh, I think by the age 72 is when he passed away.
0: That was when Lizzie was eight years old.
1: That's when we started, like talking about like what is it that he had because i was old enough to really understand death now
0: because of huntington's disease lizzie never really knew her grandfather she didn't really know huntington's disease either that is until her mother started showing symptoms
1: growing up you know she was an awesome mom she was very kind very smart she helped me a lot with my um my math and you know reading she was my teacher in the early school ages. We notice a big, big change in her, in her attitude by the time I was in high school. That's when she lost her job at a storage company. And so then from that point, we think maybe this is the illness. We also noticed that she was fidgeting a lot too. So she couldn't keep her hands still, like kept moving her thumbs around and around. She finally decided to get diagnosed, and then she tested positive for it. She sat us down at a table, all of us in the family, a little family meeting, and she was crying. And she wasn't necessarily upset that she had it. She was upset the fact that she had four kids.
0: All of whom were at risk of having the same condition. Immediately after the diagnosis, not much changed for Lizzie's mom and her family
1: she had no problems being by herself and she's actually very as far as i know about huntington's disease she's on the low spectrum of it like she has like 44 repeats um so i guess they said that she probably will progress a little bit slower than others when you go to get
0: tested for huntington's disease the geneticists look at your dna and count the number of repeats of this amino acid sequence cag in your huntington gene everybody has this gene But it only becomes HD when you have too many CAG repeats, too many being 40 or more. Most people who get diagnosed with HD have between 40 and 50 repeats, but more severe symptoms can be caused by up to 180 in rare cases. Because Lizzie's mom has 44 repeats, Lizzie and her family had a lot of hope that their mom's health was going to deteriorate gradually, rather than rapidly.
1: She started going to some of the support groups, and we started getting involved with uh, UC Davis. Um, She started seeing specialists. She would still cook and, you know, go for a walk um, around the hills and take us to school. She was still driving at that point. I think she was, like, in her mid-40s, like 45. By the time I was a senior in high school was when her roadway was a little bit too much. She got into you know a lot of a lot of tickets, more accidents than usual, and so then we're like we think it's not safe for her to drive, so we took it upon ourselves to take her car away from her. Some some depression
2: started there probably. So that's when she started taking more medications. Her weight would fluctuate
1: back and forth. Her mood was really the biggest thing, and then the fidgeting. It got worse by the time in her fifties, early fifties, late late forties. She's at home. She has not been working for many years now. So, but she's still like coherent. She can still talk. She she'll still call me. She'll still tell me whenever I have mail.
2: Hello, Lizzie. This is your mom. Uh, call me when you can. Okay, when you get a break or when you get off. It's not an emergency. I just want to let you know that you've got two heavy packages, and they're at the house. So, honey, call me back when you can. All right, bye.
1: It's funny. She's like always starts with "Hello, this is
2: your mom." Hi, Lizzie. This is your mom. I need to talk to you, honey. Can you call me, please? Bye, bye, honey.
1: I still have those voicemails on my phone. I don't, um, because they definitely, those voicemails have progressed over time. Maybe a year ago, she would call and leave a little quick message
2: like, Hello, Lizzie. I'm at home now. Call me here. I'm going to be here the rest of the day. See you later. Bye. Lizzie, call me when you have time or when you're not a split. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Lizzie, this is your mom. Where are you, honey? Bye. <laughs> Hello, Lizzie. Call me if you can. Bye. Did you call me? I was uh, asleep. Call me. Babe, babe, babe. Okay, bye.
1: There's obstacles in her brain. Like, she's there. There's just things that are blocking her from speaking as quickly as she wants to. And it's just been really hard to see, to see that part.
0: Lizzie had to watch her mom change. A lot.
1: She's just started all of a sudden like, yeah, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and hungry. Now it's like repeating it every 10 minutes. We'll eat lunch, and 10 minutes later she'll say, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm hungry. And I'm like, okay, well, let's get a snack. Or can you, let's wait, let's wait like a little bit, because now she's gaining weight again. Every Christmas or every Mother's Day or every uh, uh, birthday, it's new clothes, so because they don't fit. So they tried to regulate her diet, but that wasn't easy. She'll get upset when we say no. And she won't say, I'm upset. She'll say, don't yell at me, even though we're not yelling at her. In a lot of ways, it was like Lizzie's mom was a different person. She doesn't like watching TV anymore. I think it's too fast. And she used to be the type of person that would watch TV until midnight and keep my dad awake. My dad hated that because he'd wake up like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning to go to work himself. And yet my mom would still keep the news on and she'll wake up later. But now she sleeps from like 6 p.m. until 9, 10 p.m. the next morning. and she'll But she'll get up throughout that. Every three hours she's getting up to go to the bathroom or every three hours she's waking up my dad. To making sure he's there or something. So it's kind of, kind of funny. And also with the bathroom too, the bathroom situation has gotten uh, worse in the last two years. There was a time where she was going every single ten minutes, and she'll even like get up while she's eating, and think she has to go. And every time we go, it's like she doesn't need, she doesn't need to go. Um, But she just there's some kind of anxiety that was there for a while, and now again it reversed. Now it's like the anxiety is gone, but she's having more accidents. Lizzie's mom's routines kept changing too, and Lizzie had a hard time keeping up. This morning she got up and it was eight o'clock, right? No, it was nine o'clock. And I helped brush her hair a little bit. And she's like, oh, can I go back to bed? And I'm like, no, don't you want to brush your teeth? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's brush my teeth. So I brushed her teeth, washed her face, got her like, she's like, oh, don't forget my cream. Like I put all these nice creams on her because she's always been a fan of Lancome. And so um, I'm like, okay, I won't forget. I'll put it on. So I'm thinking, oh, we're good. We're all ready for the day. Um, She's like, okay, well, I'm gonna go back to sleep. And I'm like... It's nine o'clock, mom, or nine thirty now. She's like, "Oh yeah, I'm tired still." I'm like, "But you went to bed at nine p.m. Like, and I got you ready. You're gonna get your hair all messed up again." And she's just like, "Nope, I don't want to go to sleep." Before I would get upset when I would try to be a little bit more strict, I, uh, she would start crying and just start yelling. Um, maybe she'll throw things, not at me, but throw things like the tissue or start stomping away. Like a little kid, like a two-year-old tantrum. Complete, it looks exactly the same as my nephew. Now that I'm trying to remember how she was before the symptoms, it's like, it's just getting grayer and grayer and grayer. And it's making me kind of sad. Like, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be one of the children that did see her, you know, completely normal. And and at least it was not until my high school years was when she started to change. But those normal years, I don't really remember. But in spite of everything, Lizzie's trying to see through her mom's illness. I've learned now with the illness that it's just, whatever she wants, I'm just going to give it to her. If it's something she wants to do, if it's sleeping, if it's walking, or if it's eating another cookie, she can I'll do it. I'm just trying to remember that she has this illness and it's... I know she's in there, but it's hard to, for her to, to comprehend.
0: Then, Lizzie's mom started falling. And Lizzie and her family realized that they
1: just couldn't look after her on their own. We lived in a tri-level home at the time. So we had, like, not three full stories, but a lot of stairs for little areas. The first time was she broke her ankle. The second time was where she fell from the third um, story on the stairs and broke her collarbone and got stitches on her head. That's when we realized, okay, this house is not safe for her. We needed to have somebody there for her. She doesn't necessarily need medical assistance. She just needs someone there to watch her. The first person we had was just a, a person that was like a medical care assistant in the past, and she she took care of a grandmother with Alzheimer's. So we're like, okay, this should work for now.
0: But it wasn't perfect.
1: We realized also they were just doing, they were just watching TV all day. Like, she wasn't, the the caregiver wasn't really necessarily, like, taking her on walks or doing, playing games with her, like, keeping her, like, just, you know, both physically and and mentally active.
0: They tried again, but that didn't work out either.
1: With that caregiver, she lost 15 pounds. And she just, I don't want to eat, I don't want to eat, I don't want to do anything. And so that caregiver would just listen to her and just said, okay. And so that's how my mom lost the weight.
0: As a final attempt, Lizzie and her family
1: hired a trusted family friend. We love her like she actually has the caregiving capability she understands i don't know about the illness, but she understands my mother better and um she knows that she's kind of like a child like it is it is breakfast it is time to eat, no matter what you say. She's also there Monday through Friday um during the day and um Helps her with everything. Like, she cooks everything. She prepares everything. She, she helps her in the bathroom. She bathes her. She, you know, gets her ready. Um, my mom still loves to wear makeup, so she needs to have someone else do it.
0: But there's only so much one caretaker can do.
1: Right now, we're actually looking into maybe having someone in the evenings, um, just because it's affecting my dad. He can't sleep at night anymore, and he still works, and he plans to work for, I don't know, probably uh, you know several years. Because in, in order to afford the caregiver, it's, he needs to work. And even that's with him working, and all of us kids are, con, are contributing. We're all helping out with, the, with um, um, the caregiver that we have now.
0: As costly as hiring caregivers has become, though, Lizzie and her family don't want to have to put their mother in a home.
1: I don't know if it's just our family and our traditions and our culture that that's just forbidden. You do not take a family member to a home until they're completely like you cannot pick them up kind of thing like with my grandfather. But just
0: as Lizzie had to change her approach to her mother's behavior, the financial and emotional strain of her mother's needs have forced Lizzie to start reevaluating her ideology surrounding care.
1: Right now I'm, I'm like in the gray area. We just try to like do our best to do everything ourselves and really take turns. But it's it's been challenging because um, everyone has their own life. And everyone wants to spend their money differently too. We want her to be happy and comfortable. And we also want to make ourselves healthy and sane. And you know, cause it gets, you know, it gets a little, you get burnt out.
0: By taking care of their mom, Lizzie and her siblings witnessed the realities of Huntington's firsthand, while also having to face the fact that they could be the same way in a few years. They would all have to make the decision that would determine the way they lived their lives from that point on test or don't test.
1: So after my mom got diagnosed, my brother right away went and got tested. He is the type where he's like, knowledge is power, and we can, everything we know now, we can either at least you know, help ourselves or help others in research if we don't have it.
0: At the time, Lizzie's older brother had gotten married and established his own business, while Lizzie's older sister was raising a family.
1: Lizzie and her twin sister were in college. He was tested negative, which was good. But then that's when he started talking to the rest of us saying, come on, you guys should do it too, make time for it, or at least right after college, do it. And I'm like, okay, I agree with you. Like, I I think in my mentality, I definitely would want to get tested because, yeah, it's a scary thing. To, to know that, you know, you have a certain amount of time before something happens. But we hear all these good things about so many advances in the medical research and the fact that they know the gene mutation, that the fact that they have a test, and there may be a cure, you know, like I'm hopeful. So I was like, yeah, no, I agree. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to do it, just not now. Like I was still in my um, third year in engineering school. So I was like, uh, I, I don't even have a car yet. So,
0: <laughs> But Lizzie's twin sister wasn't of the same mindset. She got tested in college.
1: Our relationship is very interesting, like growing up, it was hard. Um, We were compared a lot by our parents. Like most twins or any siblings, we fight a lot, like we are not close. We are night and day, complete opposites in terms of just our personalities. I didn't even know she was getting tested really, actually, when she got tested. I don't even think she even told me, I think I heard it from from my siblings or from my dad or something. Or maybe she did, and then just, she didn't make a big deal out of it. Because that's, like, I feel like that's something I would have remembered.
0: Lizzie's twin sister's test came back positive. She had HD.
1: What I do remember was trying to go to her room and just be sympathetic, like, you know, can I give you a hug? And she was just very really like, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm like, don't worry about it. Knowing that she has it, and yet she's seeing my mom progress. I don't know, like, it's it's really hard. And it's hard because she doesn't talk about it, at least not with, not with me.
0: After her twin's diagnosis, Lizzie clashed with her sister on the way she should respond to her condition.
1: I, I prioritize. I'm a big planner. I'm like, okay, in order for me to go out, I need to do all these things first. And then I'll get upset when I don't see her doing the same. I was young, young, you know, in my early 20s. And I still didn't, like, I still would forget and wouldn't care and still have these huge arguments with her. Um, especially about my mom, too. Um, so I just, I, I I regret that part. It's like, okay, she doesn't think the same. We're two different people. Um, and now knowing that she has the illness, I'm like, okay, I shouldn't get upset that she's out with her friends all the time. You know, I figure she needs to enjoy her, her time as much as possible, being able that she can, because... She knows what she has, and but it's hard, too. It's just, it's really, it's a really weird dynamic at home now. And that's part of the reason why I didn't want to get tested was because of my twin. I didn't want the results to upset her um, if they were, you know, if I didn't have it. Because I feel like we have already had such a hard pass growing up. You know, I, I, I moved out first. I got a good job first. I got... A car first and I make more money and all that stuff. I didn't mean to hurt her in any way and so I thought I shouldn't get tested because I just don't want to upset her more.
0: Lizzie was getting pulled in two directions. If she got tested, she would risk testing negative and driving a wedge further between herself and her twin sister. But if she didn't, she wouldn't be prepared for the future, when she might start experiencing symptoms and needing to pay for care.
1: I decided to get tested.
0: At the clinic, Lizzie was asked to bring a family member when she came back to
1: collect her results. They kind of want someone there to be with you, to drive you home, just in case you never know how you're gonna react. I talked to my brother about it, about who should that person be, like, should I explore the option of asking my twin? My brother's saying, who cares about what she thinks? And I'm like, well, I do care. Well, like, do you think she'll be more sensitive to the idea or maybe more accepting of the idea if she went with me, like, if I invited her? Because, like, it has nothing to do with me. It's, it's already in my genes. I, you know, so it's like maybe having her there first might be nice.
0: A negative or positive blood test sounds matter of fact. Scientific. In many ways, it is. But there's more mixed up in that positive or negative result than just genetics. And for Lizzie, one of those things was her relationship with her twin.
1: I asked her first, like, what would you think if I got tested? She's like, yeah, you should do it. It's for research. You know, I got other things to worry about. It just didn't go well. But then I ended up getting it done anyways, and I just went alone. I didn't want anyone to come with me. Then Lizzie's results came in. I was fortunate enough not to have it. I just told my brother. I'm, I'm assuming he told her, my my twin. He didn't necessarily tell her. He just maybe maybe asked her about the conversation about, hey, what about, what do you think of it? And she's like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Like, she figured I wouldn't I wouldn't have it anyways. Like, she already knew that I won't have it.
0: After hearing that Lizzie got tested, Lizzie's older sister started out on an HD journey of her own. She wasn't as eager about testing.
1: She already had two kids by this point, um, married, you know, had a family, and she is, I could see she's a little bit like the overthinker. Both me and her are actually more like twins, if anything, me and my older sister. We're seven years apart. Um, We overthink, we're perfectionists. And so she sees that if she were to find out, it might do more harm than good for her. It might mess with her, her, just her mental state. And she already doesn't want to feel guilty, like, because she had two kids and... Um, she also is with like one time when we talked about it and see, we talk, which I really helps me. Um, we talked about it and she said that, um, uh, that she already has the mentality that she has it. Uh, she just thinks that, okay, I'm going to take the same vitamins. I'm going to do the same things. I'm going to try to be as healthy as I can like any other person and just go with my life. My brother gets a little upset cause he's like, well, what about research? And you could be doing so much more help and all that stuff with others. And it's like, you know, She has two kids, you know, like, they're busy too. Like, everyone has their own life, and you have to leave them, let them go at their own pace. Like, I agree with my sister, if it does more harm than good, like, if you think you're going to be very depressed afterwards, if you rather live like it's a possibility, you could still be a part of research. You know, you can give them the results, but you could tell them, I do not like to know.
0: Lizzie's brother was the first one to jump into being a subject for HD research, even though he was negative.
1: I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe they might need people who don't have it, so I just enrolled and I'm going next Friday. They told me I have to take an MRI that's going to be probably two hours long, and so I'm like, oh, yay, nap time. So I'm excited.
0: In a lot of ways, the stress of HD has emphasized the division in Lizzie's otherwise cohesive family unit. But Lizzie left us with the hope that it's starting to look up. Her mom, for one, is starting to get better with the help of treatment and advancements in
1: research. She has progressed a lot in the last two years. Everyone in my family is trying very hard, and everyone loves each other. Everyone's supportive, although you know every family fights. Um, we all know that we're going to get through this. Like we are always continuing to make her happy and keep her active and keep her walking. Um, so at this point, it's like it's it's kind of like hey, like. You get to retire early and do what you want and, you know, and have fun that way. Eat. Like, when I got with my mom, I kind of like, whatever you want, Mom, I'm going to give it to you. So it's like, I feel like that's like a, a kind of cool, like, best life situation. And the doctor, he said, uh, you know, I don't know if he was just saying this, um, but from the patients he's seen with a similar illness, like in this, you know, Parkinson's and Huntington's and all, and all those, uh, he said, my mom's actually pretty happy. I think that's what also gives us hope is that she's happy being with us and she's happy that she's here and so that's what's gonna keep us going. That's their number one hope is the fact that doctors are saying that she's happy. While focusing
0: on maintaining her mom's happiness in the moment, Lizzie's also been trying to document her mom as she used to be, both from her own memories and her mother's.
1: All these little memories are just popping up. She, she also inspired us, I feel like, to, to be bakers, like in my family, like my older sister, like all my sisters and I, we all love to bake. And I just realized, like, a couple months ago, like, you know what? Like, this is my mom. Like, my mom brought this to us. And I still, f- I found her recipe book in one of our drawers that with her handwriting. And it's beautiful handwriting.
0: Of course, Lizzie's mom's handwriting doesn't look like that anymore. But the recipe book is still there. Just like Lizzie's memory of the woman who raised her will always be with her, in spite of her illness. Lizzie's been trying to apply that same philosophy of documenting and
1: storytelling to her role as a member of the HD community. I figure, uh, if there's any way I can document what I can remember and and share with others and others can share with me, it's just, you know, I, I'm I'm also thinking like my brother knowledge is power. I know I love to talk, so <laughs> that's where it starts. It's just, you know, letting it out. Before it was like not a secret, but just kept I just kept it inside until recently where being a little bit more talkative about it, that I'm like, oh, we're not alone. Like, the community is actually much larger than I thought. And there's so many resources available in terms of support groups and studies that are going on. There's just so much out there.
0: At the end of the day, there's still the question of whether you should get tested.
1: I think I like to know because I figured it's something I would want to know up front, that way... I could take full advantage of these prime time years and yeah I feel like everyone should, you know, to try to do that. Like everyone's trying to live, you know, um you know, live like you'll die tomorrow learn, learn like you live forever kind of mentality. And and yeah, it is it is sad. It is sad to know that, you know, you might have a limited amount of years, but I feel like that in this world there's so many things that can happen, you know. You can get hit by a bus tomorrow <laughs> Lizzie doesn't want to tell anyone what to do with their genie question, but she does have some advice. Plan prior to getting tested. Like, uh, like at least for me, I definitely did the insurances first and things like that, because once you test positive, like, rates go up extremely high. So just trying to set yourself up um, with all as many insurances you can afford um, because the care is so expensive. Like, that's one thing my mom did not do. So um, everything's coming out of pocket. Lizzie also recommends that people get involved. Being involved in the community, in the research, you might meet that one doctor that's going to save your life in the future. So,
0: the way that Lizzie, her mother, her brother, and her twin sister answered their genie question wasn't as magical as rubbing an ancient golden lamp. Their story is one of physical and emotional pain, financial woes, and conflict between loved ones. But it's also one of love, loyalty, resilience, and hope in the face of adversity. Huntington's disease is a permanent part of their story, but that doesn't mean it has to define it.
1: Thank you for having me here, and thank you for the Hope's website. Thank you for, you know, that I'm so thankful that there is There is hope, there is research, there's people who who are not at all involved in the illness and yet studying it to a T, you know. So that's the part that makes me happy also that, um, that we're not alone in this. All right, so I just say my name? Okay. Hi, my name is Lizzie. I'm 29 years old. I got tested for HD, and I am negative. Um, I have a mother with HD, which she got that from her grandfather. Uh, that's as far as we know in terms of lineage, and I have three siblings, an older brother. That's about I think he's 39. He is negative as well, an older sister. That's 38. No, sorry, 36, but she is on the not sure about getting tested, so she's at risk. And I have a fraternal twin sister um, that's also 29, of course. Um, but it was unfortunate she did test positive for HD. Um, but overall, we're a pretty strong knit family. We all live close to each other, which I'm extremely thankful for. Um, we're all supporting my mom and my dad in this this fight. And uh, I think out of all the four of us, I think my sister is the the most uh, admirable. She's like the most outgoing than all of us and and uh she's a little feisty one but she's fun to be around and outrageous and but very smart and very hard working and very, very loyal um to the people she loves. So um definitely it's been a an interesting life with the with H D.
2: Hello Lizzie. I'm watching the fish movie. It's really good. C- it has all kinds of fish in it. That's I- too, yeah. I'm, uh, I love you very much. I love you I love you This
0: podcast features Lizzie. I'd like to thank the Hopes Fund and Stanford for their support. Thank you to Catherine Heaney and the Hopes team for guidance. I'd like to give a special thank you to Lauren hinkley who conducted the interview with Lizzie and fact checked and reviewed this podcast, and to my fellow podcaster Sammy Potter, who also reviewed this podcast. If there is anything related to HD that you are interested in hearing about on the podcast, let us know in the reviews. I'm Kat Ferguson.